Welcome to Arise Life, a community of believers being equipped, empowered, and released into their destiny. For more information, go to arisealife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. If you've been here the last couple weeks, we've been going after this thing about breakthrough. And we talked about uh, two weeks ago, we went after breakthrough and healing. We went after supernatural breakthrough, and some people got instantaneous breakthrough. But a lot of people did not, right? Anybody here waiting on a breakthrough in your life? Yeah, right? So, so the problem is, is we assume supernatural means instantaneous. Actually, we prefer that, right? But in fact, supernatural means something we could not do. It is God himself who does it. And we all are here in some way because we recognize we can't in and of ourselves. We can't. They're, the things that we're made for, the things we long for, the things we desire, wh- what we can't do on our own. And that brings us to that point of saying, God, I can. And God says, yes. So we, what are some of the areas where we are needing breakthrough? Wife. Would you say wife? Life. life. I was like, wife? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, life, okay? Can we, I'll, I'll go with that. But what, can we zoom in a little bit more? Work-life balance. Work life balance. Work and life. All right. Work, so, all right. What else? Work-wife balance. Wow. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Protect him, Lord. All right. Heal him, Lord. Yes, heal him, Lord. What else? Relationships. Relationships. Like, uh, let's see, what kind of relationships? Uh, Let's say, how about uh, spouses? Children? Children? (laughs) Parents, parents parents-in-law. How about friends? Anybody need breakthrough in friends? You know, come on. All right. Relationships. What else? Finances. 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 Come on. All right. What else? Health. Health. Come on. Absolutely. Health. Health. Anything else? Just how to be a Christian. Just actually do the stuff that God wants us to do. Be a Christian. Anybody found like you're like this shouldn't be too hard? Church, Church. I'm gonna put that with the peoples, put the peoples, other people, right? Uh, yeah, why don't we throw in enemies too, just for fun? Come on, I, those are easy. Awesome. Yep, you just kill them and move on. Well, sorry, my bad. Destiny. Oh, purpose. Purpose. Anybody here lived without purpose? Isn't it the worst? You just like, eh, it's like slow death. Purpose, destiny. What else? Anything else? I don't want to just make sure this is all inclusive. All right. Well, this is really good. But um, anybody had this experience, and it was just struck me, is there's this verse where Rachel cries out to Jacob, her husband and says, give me children or I die. Anybody been in that place in an area in your life 
where you're like, if I don't get breakthrough here, I'm dead. I can't. I just can't go on. And in that moment, are you, you will, what are you willing to do to get that? <laughs> Anything, right? Anything, right? Anything. I'll do anything. It may or may not be legal, right? In that moment, you're ready to sacrifice anything and anybody. Anybody here sacrificed a friend to get a need met? <laughs> Awkward. Awkward. Okay, moving on. Um, I, I would submit at this point, I will sacrifice anything for that. Anybody had some bad situations happen in your life because you were willing to do anything to get a particular need met and it didn't turn out very well in the end? No? If you guys remember last week, we talked about this whole thing that there are goals and there is, there is a source, a goal, and a means. And the problem when we make the means, the goal, we are in serious trouble, right? We will sell everything to get something that's not worth anything, right? Anybody done everything you can to get what you wanted and only found it wasn't what you wanted? Don't nudge your spouse. But what we talked about last week is this thing that God is love, right? God is love. And that his goal is that we be one with him and one with each other. The goal is love. And all these things are meant to be simply be means by which we discover his love. We experience his love. But... If I'm willing to sacrifice you and everybody else in order to get my needs met, do you think that might war against love? And so one of the things I've just been really pressing into is if God is love, if the original goal was always love, has anybody looked at your life or, for instance, looked at Scripture and it doesn't look like love? Anybody? Anybody? You look at the scope of scripture and you're like, I don't see love. And I was asking the Lord about that. I was asking for him a picture. I'm a, I'm, I think in terms of pictures, it helps me. And he said, well, a great example is if you were to look out in the parking lot, you will see the evidence of the sun out there. And the evidence of the sun over there will be red, over there it will be blue, over there it will be green. They are all reflections of the sun, but they are not pure reflections are they they only reflect a part and some of it's just shadow right some of it the sun didn't reach but we our mind sees that as a reflection of the sun so as we look across scripture you are watching god's light reflecting off the lives of imperfect people anybody had rejected god because he was shown to you by somebody who was imperfect only to realize oops my bad you come back around. I, I, um, I was talking with a buddy this week and he was just gripped um, because this guy uh, he met was 80 years old in his workplace and he was saying, he was saying, I, uh, 
He told me that everybody in his family is a Christian, but he doesn't believe in God. What do I do? And I said, well, the first thing I'd ask you to do, he said, I, I, can't. I went home and I'm still thinking about it. I said, well, what I would normally say, the first thing I'd do is ask God to give you a heart of love for him, but he already has. I said, but what I've discovered is every one of us is asking a question for which God is the answer. But a lot of times we don't know what that question is. And most of the time when I found that people reject, they say, I don't believe in God. They're really saying, I don't believe in that God that was shown to me. I don't believe in the God you showed me. And, that, and the guy said, he said, that's actually literally what he said. I said, well, there you go. The, the reality is when we sacrifice means, when we make means, whatever it is, whatever, I'm going to throw another one up here. I want to throw another one, and this is probably the one that I've sacrificed the most for. Safety. Why do you think sacrificing for safety might be, be a problem? Anybody found that every single one of us has the capacity to be dangerous? Every time, every time right? Anybody here, you're like, no, no. You know, anybody's dangerous, you shoot them. No? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like we, anybody here overreacted because you were in fear? The desire for fear, safety, will actually cause me to partner with fear. What is fear? What is love cast out? Fear. My desire for safety will cause me to isolate myself from dangerous people, which is everybody. Have you noticed? If you, if you trust anybody, at some point, what are they going to do to your trust? They're going to break it. They're going to hurt you. And so if this is the goal, I'm going to die on an island by myself. Right? And over and over again, when we elevate the means over the goal, we will lose the, even that in the process. So I was asking the Lord, I said, well, if this is indeed the goal, I need to see it clearly in Scripture. And so I was... Um, I was thinking about this. It's like, how do we get these things and they not kill us in the process? Right? Like, because, and the, and the Lord reminded me of the passage in Luke chapter 12, where it's, his, it's the, Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, where he's saying, listen, 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 don't worry about what you eat or what you wear. Now, I got to say, nobody put food up here. And nobody put clothing. Like, we're all, like, good at that level. But I promise you, if somebody takes away your clothing and your food, they will be the only thing you're worried about. True? If you're starving and naked, none of these matter. <gasps> right? And in that, he's saying, don't even worry about it. Like, anybody here, when you're struggling and you're worrying, had somebody tell you you don't worry about it? Yeah, it doesn't help. Men, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just, just block that out. Don't do it. No, it is not a good idea. But Jesus, who is God with skin on, does this to us. We're freaking out, and he goes, ah, don't worry about it. Over and over again, when people are afraid in Scripture, what does God say to them? Fear not. Why? But what's his answer? Because I am with you. I am with you. You need not fear. And he goes on in this, in, starting in uh, Luke 12, 22, and he's talking about, don't worry about what you wear. Don't worry about this. Even the pagans run after these things. 
And he ends with this line. He says, because dear children, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So seek me first. Seek my kingdom first. And all of these will get taken care of. All of these will be taken care of. Easy for you to say. Right? No, all of these. And I was like, well, how do we get these things? And he reminded me of another passage, Romans 8, where he says this amazing phrase. Uh, verse 18. Uh, so, um, but, but, no, no. Pull it, can you pull up the Romans passage so I remember? There we go, 14. That's what I thought. There, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit who received you received does not make you slaves, so you live again in fear. Rather, the Spirit who you received brought you about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry out, Abba, Papa, Daddy, Father, to our Heavenly Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Okay, what is an heir? What? A receiver. What, what does an heir receive? Inheritance, right? He says we are co-heirs with Jesus. Co-heirs. Do you know what a co-heir means? You get the same thing. Co-heirs with Jesus. Jesus, who is God himself. And in, and I've said this before, in Judaism, an heir stepped into their inheritance not when their parents died, but when they reached adulthood. Why do you think they only gave the inheritance to them when they reached adulthood? Anybody here made some bad decisions? Because even though you may have been of age, you still weren't an adult, right? No, and that, that's why adulting for them was like 30, 35. But anyway, moving on. So here we are. He says, you, so if you want the things of the kingdom, you receive them what? As an heir. How do I become an heir? What did it say? We have been what? Adopted. Adopted adopted well that's interesting stay with me keep that thought adoption in your mind flip over to ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 he says praise be to god the father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing by the way spiritual in this context means real the real thing not the fake the real thing, not just ethereal, but the real thing. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. <sighs> yes, please. How does that happen? Why? For he chose us in him when? Before the creation of the world. He, he looked and he said, mm, 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 okay, we're going to make this work. What do we need? Oh, I know. We need an Alyssa. We need a Rhonda. Um, a mark. Yes. He chose you from before the foundation of the world. He chose you for what? To be holy. In other words, like him and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for what? Adoption. Adoption. To sonship. That's that co-heir through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So let me ask you this. So we were, from before the foundation of the world, his plan was that we would be adopted. Now, I have a question. How many of you were there at the signing for your adoption into Jesus? Right? You, you, you and I, were, we weren't there yet. We were but a twinkle in our papa's eye. He thought of us, but we did not yet exist. He, in the same way, at an adoption of a, one, of a, of a, of a nine-month-old baby, what, what role does the will of that child have? Zilch, right? It is, I adopt you. I choose to make you my heir. All that I have is yours. It, can that child do anything for the parent at that point? No. Nothing. You, God did not want you for what you can do for him. He wanted you for who you would become in him. Who you would be for the relationship that we have with him. He invited us. This adoption, this self-giving love that he said, I give everything for you. And in fact, at the beginning, he goes, now, for this to work, they have to have free will. Uh, and Holy Spirit's like, wait, 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 wait. <clears throat> just, just go with me here. If they have free will, they might use it badly. I know. But it's worth it. Is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. Well, how are we going to make it that they will be able to come back to us, to join with us in their freedom, to choose us? Looks like I'm going to have to die. Jesus decided before you, when he decided to make you, he decided it was worth dying for you. You were worth it all. And this is, Jesus said, greater love has no man than what? That he lays down his life for his friends. This is what love is. Love is not, I love you, you love me. Love is not, I put up with you, you put up with me. Love is not... You do you, I do me. Love is not your truth, my truth. Love says, I'll die for you. <laughs> we need an upgrade in our understanding of love. We have made love transactional. You know how I know? Because when they don't deliver on their end of the goods, what do we do? There's a wonderful, horrific phrase in Russian. Oh, Masha's like a horrible. <laughs> the re reference to uh, intimate relations between a husband and a wife are called the marital obligation. <laughs> wow, that's great. You took the most beautiful thing in the world and turned it into a, hi there, Ralph, how are you doing? Love says, I laid out my life for you. It doesn't say, that's why the marriage vows don't say, in sickness and in health, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Does it? It's saying, I don't understand where this is going, but I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to give my life for you. This is what covenant is but we've made it transactional and like i said it's a real easy way to know we're like 
I mean, who here, when you were saying marriage vows, you're like, absolutely, I would die for you. But not like that. <laughs> who, who here? You know what I'm talking about. You hit a wall. You, you hit a wall and you're like, nope. That's because yours and my, sen- we reach the end of our sentiment. We reach the end of our emotion. We reach the end of the contractual, I love you, you love me. And suddenly I'm like, I can't give you nothing unless you give me something. Right? And in that moment, I've got to make a decision. Am I going to lean to his love or am I going to live out of my own? And, and so I was really pondering this whole thing about Jesus. You know, he, he puts it this way. Revelation 13, 8, he says, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, right? Before it was, he paid the price for a relationship with us. And it's not transactional. And this is the foundation of our relationships with one another. Because as he is, so are we in this life. We, this is love. Like like we are all, if love is the goal, what does it look like to love? And he puts it on display in the scriptures. And so if you've got scriptures, I'd recommend flip open to Genesis 12. This is where we're going to come out. I'll I'll try not to use any other scriptures. (laughs) Genesis 12. We have this amazing, amazing, amazing story of Abraham and Sarah. It actually starts in 11, where um, in, in, um, in 11, Abraham follows his dad out of a city called Ur, which might be in the north or the south of Mesopotamia. And they're going, they have a destiny, they have a purpose, and they only get halfway. How do I know? Because they got to the city of Haran, which is called halfway. Anybody, anybody here judged your parents? You're not breathing. If you haven't judged your parents, you did, you're, you're blind, right? Because that's, that is literally the, that is the, like, the skill that children have, right? You're like, ah, if I was in charge, I would totally not do it that way. I just don't see any love here, right? You know, you're like, I'll tell you where that love went, right? But in that moment, that, like, we judge them. Part of the reason we judge them is we know there's more. We know there's more. And none of us have parents who went more than halfway. They went as good, far as they could. And the question is, what am I going to do? Am I going to stop ju- in judgment of their halfway or am I going to go on? Am I going to judge those who showed me God in a way that was imperfect? Or am I going to press on for the more that I know is there? And he presses on and, and it says God showed up to him. And I, I love it. It's just so bizarre. It's so bizarre. I, I want to know the pre the story on this. Verse 1 of chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, wait, what? <laughs> like, was he, like, getting a sandwich? Was he out for a drive? Was he crying out to God? I don't know, but it just says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who cur- bless you, and, and, you will, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Wow. That's a really... Imagine this. God is saying, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. 
but you've got to leave where you are. You can't stay here at the altar of idolizing these things, but you've got to step out. You've got to step out. And Hebrews says, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Who here, if you don't know where it's going, you're not going. You're going to be staying. Yeah, you're going to be staying. I'll tell you, my desire for safety, I want to know everything. I want to know all the stops along the way. I want to make sure we have enough gas. I want to know, right? Let me tell you, if you have to know, you'll never go. He says, go out. And, and I, again, I've said I really want to hear that conversation that he had with Sarah. We learned in chapter 11 that Sarah was childless and because she was unable to conceive. They're 76 and I think 66 years old, and they have no kids. They have no future. They have no destiny. They're just going forth. In that ancient world, if you didn't have kids, you literally, your name died. Literally, it was like you never existed. And here he was. So it says, that's all God gives him is, I'll go with you. I will bless you. And I'll make you a blessing to everyone around you. And that was enough for Abram to say, I'll give it a shot. I'll step out. I'll step out. And he says, he goes, he goes. See, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But for relationship or connection or vulnerability, it comes at a cost, doesn't it? You have to be willing to step out. Step out of your comfort zone, Masha was talking about last week. Stepping out, taking that step beyond your comfort zone, taking a step, going, ah, I don't know how this is going to end. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to be vulnerable. I'm willing to be able to lay down. It, you know, another place, Paul says he, that his will for us is more than we could ask, think, or imagine. Well, I can't think or imagine what that might be. So what am I got to do to be able to receive that which I cannot think, ask, think, or imagine? I've got to lay down my own expectation because I won't be able to receive it. You know, if the ball is coming over there, baseball people, where do I need to be? Over there. I'm a center fielder. I can't go over there. I can't go over there. The ball's going to be over there, right? I have to leave where I'm at. I have to allow him to break my understanding to receive something new. So Abram went and as the Lord had told him and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Why? Because he was really hoping that Lot would be his heir. Anybody here, God tells you he's got a plan for you and you've already figured out how God's going to do it? I've got great news for you. You just guaranteed how it ain't going to happen. Because God's like, oh, I was doing that, but that's boring. You've got, no, God will always lead us. And so Lot, they go out and he says, and Abram was 75 years old when they set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, and his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out on the land of Canaan and they arrived there. And I mentioned this yes, last week is where, whatever God's going to call you to, he's not going to call you alone. It's going to involve other people. No, that's messy. If you follow God, it's going to be messy. <laughs> that's the nature of relationship. But anyway, they said, Abram traveled through the land. Why didn't he travel through the land? Because he didn't know what? Are we there yet? <laughs> no, I think. 
It says he traveled as far in the land as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. It was a really one of the richest areas in hundreds and hundreds of miles in every. And he was like, I think we're there. Ah, like you. Anybody seen pictures of Israel? It's like brown. Shechem is green. I was like, yeah, this is where God's calling me. Yeah, I could get used to this Lamborghini, baby. Anybody here? You, you start to you're like, oh yeah, I sense the Lord's grace on this for me. It's definitely not my own desires. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. In other words, he was like, guys, you using this land? They're like, we are using, yes, we are using this. Can I have it? No. Okay, never mind. So he keeps moving. Abram, and then it says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord there who had appeared to him. But from there, so God is promising him, but there's no evidence in the land that this land is going to be his, right? Because people are occupying it, right? Right? Can I have dibs? No. Okay. Never mind. Right? Well, what does he do? He says, so he keeps going. Why? Because the message, the mission hasn't changed. Go. Keep going. So he keeps going, and it says, from there on towards the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent, and Bethel means what? The house of God. He went till he met God. And he pitched his tent there. And he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. As we go out, as we go out in community, right? He's setting out. There's this step. But then, anybody here, you follow God and you're like, yes, Lord, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And then it didn't turn out what you thought, or at least when you thought? What do you do when it doesn't turn out like you thought and when you thought? Not you, some other people. Check out, what else? What is that? Give up? Question? Did I miss you, God? I miss you, God? Cry. Cry. <laughs> Boy, you guys are so much more spiritual than me. I come up with another plan. <laughs> really? Nobody? No? All right, that's tool God. I totally understand. Do you expect me to take it from here? I'm good for that. And Abram is having a hard time, so he goes down to Egypt. Doesn't turn out well. The Pharaoh tries to take Sarah. It's a mess. God gets Abraham out of there, not through any of Abraham's goodness. Who here has a testimony of God getting you out of the stupidity you got yourself in? Come on. Isn't that good? It's so good that, man, it is an evidence that it is a covenant because it's not dependent on our smarts, right? Because he comes for us. He pays the price. Anyway, so Abram comes back into the land, and then, guess what? Lot's like, I can't do this anymore. I want the good life. You said we were going to have the good life. I want the good life. Finally, Abram's like, okay, fine. You can have any part you want. He's like, I want the good land. I want the good property. I went down, down there with those guys in Sodom and Gomorrah. They look like good people. <laughs> Who here, when you are hungry for these, you've made some really poor choices in terms of relationships? <laughs> Isn't hunger a weird, bad thing? Like, you're amazing. You're incredible. I mean, other than 99% of the package, you're great. Right? Because you meet my one need right now. 
The voices caused Ekara. <laughs> anyway, so they separate. And as immediately, as soon as that happens, what happens with Lot and his neighbors? They get into a war. They lose the war. Lot is captured. And Abram's like, oh, man. But do you know what? Abram's been hanging out with his father. When you hang out with God, you start to look like God. And so what does Abram do? Does he say, Lot, sorry about your luck, sucker. What does he say? Come on, guys, let's go get him back. And he beats up a victorious army and takes Lot and all the guys back. It's amazing. It's incredible. Wow, Abram's doing so well. And it's on the backside of this that we have this encounter in chapter 15. This is about how far we're going. After this, because then, then he has an opportunity to take all the wealth. And he's like, no, no, my wealth comes from the Lord. The things I'm waiting on come from God. I'm not going to steal these. He said, no, after the, and so he gives, he gives a, uh, a portion uh, even of what he has to Melchizedek. Moving on, verse 1 of chapter 15. After this, after he's, these things, after he stepped out, after he's trusted in God, after he's not trusted in these, after he's been stupid and God's delivered him, after these, the Lord said to, came to Abram in a vision. He said, do not be afraid, Abram. Why do you think he said that? Because Abram was afraid. He was afraid that his destiny wasn't going to come to pass. He wasn't getting any younger. He didn't have kids. Lot was a dingbat, right? He's just like, uh, he said, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, <clears throat> nope, my apologies, sir. Um, what can you give me that I would want? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is some distant relative Eleazar of Damascus, or, or his butler, depending. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will inherit my, be my heir. Is that the way you talk to the Most High, Sonny Bar? I've got great news. God relationship involves mess mess by the very definition of mess for me is this i don't know how this is going to end it's not curated it's not safe i just got to tell you the truth i have to tell you the truth of what's going on inside of me even though it might be a lie this is what's happening inside of me and because of this life that building this trust abram is either brave enough, understands God enough, or crazy enough to tell God the truth. Do you think God can handle the truth? God is not easily ticked off. Like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe you, Abram. We're done here. No. God's like, thank you for being honest. Let's lean in on this. Let's lean into this pain, this thing that's totally unresolved. You're like, God, I know you say you're good. And I know that there have been times you'd be good, but I can't remember any of them because right now I'm just staring at my pain. And he says this. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eleazar, will not be your heir, but rather a son who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, guys, 
can I just be real with you? If I'm, a, if I'm Abram's lawyer, I'm like, Shh, don't sign anything. That's not enough, right? No? Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like, like I get it. I get it, God. You're going to give me. I need details. I need a plan, and I need guarantees. I have a question. Do you think you're getting those from Jesus? <laughs> Anybody? I know I've tried. No. He, what is he, what is, what is the basis for love? Trust. And trust is risk. Trust is lack of control. And what does he do? He goes, okay. And it says this amazing verse that Paul says is our basis for our life in God. Abraham believed God, believed the Lord, and he did what? He credited it to him as righteousness. Do you know what righteousness is? The best way to describe it is, if you take a plug and you rightly connect it to a socket, what happens? Power flows. He credited it to him as union, as connection and vulnerability, vulnerable connection with God. Because again, if the wires don't touch, if there's no vulnerability, there's no trust, there will be no transfer of power. But through right, righteousness is right relationship through which everything right flows. And he says he credited it to him as being united with God. And he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees. I, I give and to give you the land to take possession. But Abraham said, the sovereign Lord. Okay, remember, it said he believed. Let's take a look at what belief looks like. How can I know that I'll gain possession of it? Do you know it's okay to be feeble in your faith as long as you're honest with him in it? As long as you're honest, you go, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I, I love my favorite prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. I trust, I help my lack inability to trust. As long as we're leaning in in vulnerability, he can give us what we need, the trust. And God doesn't get mad at him. What does he say? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Are we going to build an ark? What are we doing here? Anybody here, you ask God a question, he goes, yeah, go over. And you're like, well, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Abram brought all these to him, cut the, and, and it, but Abram understands what he's talking about. Because in the ancient world, the way they did contracts, they did what was called cutting a covenant. And what you would do is what Abraham does. Abraham brought all of these and cut them in two. Did I mention relationship is messy? He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. Like half a cow there, half a cow there. However, uh, the birds he didn't cut in half. I think he was just like, I don't even know how to do that. I, 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 one there, two on there, right? Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. He may have understood about covenant, but he still didn't know what was going on. 
As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. I'll tell you what. Coming into the presence of pure love is terrifying. But it's good. Deep darkness. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a land, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But... I'll punish that nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age, and in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. That's a topic for another time. When the sun had set, the darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I give this land. What did that mean? In the ancient world, when you cut a covenant, what you were saying was, if I violate this covenant, may it be done to me what's been done to these animals. Whoa. When we said till death do we part, that's not what we meant. Thank goodness, right? When they cut a covenant. But you got to understand, in the ancient world, do you know who cut covenants with who? Weak people with powerful people. And do you know who said they'd die? The powerless people. The powerless people. Yeah, they're like, they're like, please be our king. And he said, well, if you want me to be your king, then there's a whole list of demands. But if you fail to keep your side of the bargain, you're dead. Does that sound transactional? Right? It's, it's like you got to do your part of the bargain. If not, do. God, now some people have taught about covenant as if it were a contract that you can hold God to. That's not it. What God, does God change? No. Is he a man that he should lie? No. What he is saying, he says, like, let me show you what I look like in a way that you can understand. I will never change. My love is for you always. I am for you, never against you. I am for your destiny. I am for all of these things that you're longing, the, the fullness of the kingdom. It's my desire to give you the kingdom. I'm not against you. I'm not holding out on you. So will you trust me? Will you love me? I don't change. I don't change. I don't change. But our access to the things he wants to give us happen in relationship in stair-stepping fashion. Do you guys remember what happened? Abraham believed. It was credit to his righteousness. And then he got tired waiting. You guys remember what happened? Actually, I think Sarah got tired of waiting. (sighs) Sarah decided, I am done with this. I'm too old for this. Take Hagar. And we know how that turned out. Hagar had a baby. It didn't turn out well at all. And God said, Abram, I was really serious about giving you the kingdom. But I need, if you're going to step in to the fullness I have, there has to be a real measure of vulnerability. There has to be a real measure of self-giving love. There has to be a, 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 a denial of my own ability to meet my own needs. And he does the most crazy thing I think has ever happened ever. You guys remember? <clears throat> there was a part of Abraham's body that got him in trouble with Hagar. God says, let's cut that. 
Circumcision. Whoa, 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 whoa. Easy there, tiger. No, 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 no. He said, Abram, I said I would bless you, but you're trying to make it happen on your own terms. I need you to lay that down. Anybody had that experience with God? Where he says, I need you to surrender the very thing that you think will meet your needs. I need you to lay down that one thing. And in that moment, in that moment though, that is the breakthrough. That is the moment. It's this, this, this thing where it is by coming into the love that God has made available, Abraham laying aside his own ability, he says, an heir does not earn the kingdom, do they? They receive it. He lays it aside and he steps into love. Let me come full circle. Father, I just ask right now, Lord, I just feel like we have, you've revealed our hearts to us today. And Lord, we are hot, we are hungry for the more. Lord, we admit that we have idolized these areas we need breakthrough in. We admit that we have traded relationship with you for these things that we have tried to manipulate you. We have tried to trick you. We have tried to do, but God, we're laying it down. We're saying, God, forgive us. We want what you have offered, which is love relationship. Even if it cost us everything. I'll be honest, in my own life in the last several months, the Lord has been going through every relationship and showing me how I have made these relationships transactional. You love me, I love you, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. But love is not transactional. Love is obedience to God. Love is living from God towards other people. It is laying down our lives for each other. If we have a cycle of relate in our relationships, I would submit, at least for me, it was because I had idolized one of these over love. I had idolized being understood. Idolized safety, idolized being similar. I idolized a whole number of things, but I have, I have given those things more power than love. And it's what brought me to a place several months ago where I realized that the only way I can live is to live vulnerably with God and vulnerably with others. There's no other way to live. Every other way is a, is a slow death. Or a quick one. Whew. If we could have the worship team come up.
God, I thank you that you are love. That we love because you first loved us. We are unable to love in and of ourselves. But you, give, you loved us when we were enemies of you, when we were when enemies of you in our own minds, when we were, we were running the opposite direction, you loved us. There's nothing we've done that you have not taken upon yourself in the cross. You love us and you gave your life for us from the foundation of the world. You said it's worth it no matter what they do. I will pay the price for them to know me and to know love and to be one with each other. We could stand. Father, whatever we have idolized in its space, in the place of love, Lord, we ask you today, give us courage to lay those things down at your feet and to hear you speak a better word. For more information, go to arisenlife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram.